0: Welcome to the Faith Alive Fellowship podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part 5 of his series, Tools of Prayer for America.
1: Praise the Lord. Tools of prayer for America. We are continuing our series this morning and this morning we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus. Amen. For those of you that might have missed some of the sessions, I encourage you to go to GoFaithLife.com. Pick up some of the sessions you might have missed, especially the first one, because in that session I describe and I describe in detail the prophetic dream that I had. July 6, 2018, while we were in New Orleans visiting our daughter, Alicia. Amen. And in that dream, the Lord asked me to do three things. Number one, issue a call to prayer for America. Number two, honor the prayers of our forefathers, especially the prayers of President Abraham Lincoln. And number three, issue tools of prayer that American Christians could use to pray for our nation. Amen. I remember when I had that dream, I was on a couch, it was an afternoon nap, and I woke up after having this dream with such an urgency in my heart to pray for America. Such an urgency in my heart to pray for America. I saw a looming darkness over America in this dream, and I woke up with an urgent desire to pray. So, would you agree with me, if I had a sense of urgency two years ago, that i and others have a sense of urgency to pray for america in this day and this age concerning that urgency the lord said this to me jesus is the light of the world but america is the conveyor of that light to the nations as america goes so goes the world therefore pray For America. Now that was two years ago. And it was true two years ago. And it's certainly true today. Amen. America needs our prayers. Amen. Like never before. Which is why the Lord led me at this critical time to reissue the call to prayer. To reissue the tools of prayer to my congregation and anybody out there that will listen. Amen. Hear me out. I've said this over and over again, but I'm going to say it over and over again. There is a darkness that threatens to overtake us as a nation. And in order to push back that darkness, we need to pray that righteousness, truth, justice, life, and liberty prevail and reign in America. Isn't that right? And we need to pray that righteousness, truth, and justice, and life, and liberty prevail at the ballot box this November. Christians, it is your sacred duty to set aside politics and vote for things like life. Vote for the life of the unborn. Amen. Amen. That's about as easy a decision anybody could make if you're a believer concerning public policy or law. Let's defend the unborn, the most vulnerable in our society. The sad fact is now abortion is the number one cause of death in America. It's a shame. it's It's an abomination in the eyes, in the heart of God. So that's an easy one. Vote for people who are for life. Think twice about voting for people who are not. Also need to vote to preserve our God-given freedom of speech, our God-given freedom to assemble, and to worship God the way we see fit. Amen. If you're a Christian, you should vote for biblical values and biblical principles. To make their way into public policy and the laws of our land. Isn't that right? That way God's hands aren't tied and He can implement His agenda for America. If we don't pray, we greatly hinder God's ability to help America get back on the righteous path. So getting back to the dream. In the dream the Lord gave me a giant toolbox. And he asked me to issue tools that American Christians could use to pray for America. And the Holy Spirit gave me six tools of prayer that he wanted me to relay to the body of Christ. And they are these: six tools of prayer. Number one, binding and loosing, found in Matthew 16, 19. Number two, prayer of agreement, Matthew 18, 19. Number three, the name of Jesus, Acts 16, 18. Number four, the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 10, 19. Number five, fasting and prayer, Matthew 17, 21. And number six, spirit led prayer, Ephesians 6, 18. Amen. Hallelujah. As I've said before, you can use these tools, of course, to pray for yourselves, for your families, for your loved ones, for your fellow saints. But we're going to concentrate on using them to pray for America. So far, we've discussed the prayer of binding and loosing the prayer of agreement and the name of Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus. If the blood of Jesus makes you nervous, you might want to leave already. Amen. We're going to talk about what it means to plead the blood of Jesus and how we can plead the blood of Jesus over America. So we're going to talk about the blood. The blood of Jesus is something most Christians have heard about, but most Christians don't truly understand. And to be honest, I don't think any of us has a complete understanding of the power and the mystery that is the blood of Jesus. So let's take a closer look at the blood starting at the dawn of mankind in the beginning. Amen. In the beginning, Adam and Eve had everything. They were perfectly created in the image of God the Father. In the garden paradise of Eden, they walked and talked with God and their every need was met. There was no sin. There was no sickness. There was no poverty. There was no death. They were free to roam around and do whatever they wanted to do with only one limitation. Think about it. They could ride the elephants. They could play with the lions. They could wrestle the bears. They could swim with the dolphins and the sharks and not be harmed. They could ride the waterfall and be okay. Amen. They could do anything. They could eat anything except for one thing. And we find that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Their only limitation. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now I want you to see something about that last phrase. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In the Hebrew, it has a double reference to death. It goes something like this. For in the day that you eat of it, in dying, you shall die. In dying, you shall die. So just hang with me and we'll explain what I mean by that. And so you know the story. Eve was tricked by the devil into partaking of that fruit. And then Adam also joined in and ate from it as well. They sinned. They fell from grace. And they died spiritually the moment they partook of that fruit. In dying, you shall die. So the first thing that happened to Adam and Eve is they died spiritually. And then the process of death began to migrate from their spirit to the other two parts of their three-part being, Mankind is spirit, soul, and body. So death and sin began to corrupt their mind, their will, their emotions, their soul, and also their body. And so over a period of time, they began to decay. And eventually, they died physically about 900 years later. In dying, they died. Amen. Everybody see that? Genesis 3, 7. This is always... A verse that I get tickled about it says in verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened after they ate the fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I don't know. I just get a I just think about that. And I I wonder if Dr. Phil was there, if he would say, how's that working for you? I just can't imagine fig leaves doing the job of covering your nakedness. Evidently, I'm going to try and not go there. (laughs) There's a lot of jokes I I could go there. Evidently, God agreed with me. Because in Genesis 3.21, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. He made them some proper clothes. Amen. The fig leaves were not cutting it. But there's more going on here. You could read this verse in passing and you could miss this. If they had animal skins, does it not logically follow that those animal skins had to be skinned off of live animals? So live animals had to shed their blood So they could have coverings to cover their nakedness. Amen. So here we see that the Lord God introduced for the first time the concept of shedding of innocent blood to cover or to atone for the sin of mankind. Listen, even though the animals were cursed because of Adam's sin, it wasn't their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. So innocent blood had to be shed in order to make coverings available for Adam and Eve. And those coverings, quote unquote, covered their sin. It was a type of the atonement. The atonement is a word that means covering. And I'm certain that this principle was shown to them because they taught it to their children. Listen, Abel offered up a blood sacrifice that was accepted by God, but Cain offered up a fruit and grain sacrifice that was not accepted by God. And you can tell by the words that God spoke to Cain afterwards that he had to have known the right thing to do. Genesis 4, 6 and 7. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, this is my paraphrase. I believe this was what the Lord was getting across to Cain. I know Abel's a shepherd and you're a farmer, but an innocent blood sacrifice is required to atone for your sins. You could have taken some of your grain and traded it for a lamb and brought me a blood sacrifice. All right, about 1,700 years later, you find out that even Noah, when they got off the ark, there was only eight people left on planet Earth. But when Noah got off the ark, the first thing he did was offer animal sacrifices to atone for the sins of his family. Genesis 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Amen. Most people remember that Noah brought the animals in two by two. But if you read the whole story, there were other animals they brought in by sevens. Those were the clean animals that he would use to offer sacrifices to the Lord. All right, fast forward about another thousand years to the time of Moses, and this institution of blood sacrifice was put into the law of God that was given to Moses. Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Amen. This is God speaking the law to Moses. Amen. Listen to me. When God breathed the breath of life into Adam, the life of God was carried throughout his body by the perfect blood that flowed through his perfect veins in his perfect body. But when Adam sinned, his blood was poisoned, it was tainted and what once carried the life of God through his veins now carried sin and death. Does everybody see that? And that sin and death was passed through the bloodline of Adam to every human being that has ever lived since that day. So since the blood of all mankind had been tainted by sin and there was no man on earth who was truly innocent, truly free from sin... There was no man who could qualify to be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. But Jesus. Revelation 13 8 refers to Jesus as the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That word there, world, is the Greek word cosmos. Jesus was the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the cosmos, from the foundation of the universe as we know it. Amen. Think about it. This means that God knew before He created the universe that evil would come as a result of the sin of angels and the sins of man. And He had a plan already prepared in in His heart to send a man unlike any other man that would be the perfect sacrifice that would satisfy the demands of God's justice and enable him to bring salvation to all mankind. Is everybody with me? And it was decided that the word of God, who existed in eternity with God as a part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Spirit. It was decided that the Word of God would take on flesh, become a man, and be the perfect sacrifice required for the salvation of all mankind. For Jesus to be the perfect innocent sacrifice for our sins, hear me out, His blood had to be free of the taint of sin that was passed down through the line of Adam. Everybody understand that? So how did God do that? Well, He very cleverly designed human beings so that no blood ever passes from a mother to the baby in her womb. So it was not possible for Mary, the mother of Jesus, to pass her tainted blood to the son inside her womb. Because once the egg is fertilized, it becomes a human embryo which develops its own heart and its own blood supply separate and distinct from the mother. But the other side of the equation is this. The egg that became an embryo and eventually became Jesus could not have been fertilized by a man. Because a human father would have passed his blood type and the taint of sin through his genes to that embryo. That's why God had to be Jesus' father and not a man. And this was explained to Mary by the angel Gabriel. When he appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. Luke chapter 1 verse 34 and 35. It was kind of a shock to Mary because I'm not even married yet. I'm still betrothed, and I got to get married and then have relations with a man before I can get pregnant. Verse 34 Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, this brings me to a very important point because it illustrates just how special and just how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Hear me out. If the life is in the blood, that's God that said that. If the life is in the blood and Jesus' blood came from God, then it was no ordinary blood. The very life of God was in the blood that was flowing through the veins of Jesus. When Jesus poured out His blood on that whipping post and on that cross, He poured out His entire life. The life of God was poured out for all mankind. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he gathered up all his blood. I don't know how he did that, but he did. He went into the heavenly holy of holies and he poured his blood out on the heavenly mercy seat. Amen. And he settled the sin question once and for all. Hebrews 9, 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. That word there, remission, is an awesome word. It can mean freedom, liberty, deliverance, pardon, or forgiveness. So let me read it again with that in mind. Without shedding of blood... There is no freedom. There is no liberty. There is no deliverance. There is no pardon. There is no forgiveness. So here in the book of Hebrews, we see that the type represented by animal sacrifices and the shedding of innocent blood dated all the way back to Adam. And it is fulfilled now in Jesus who offered His own blood once for all, Unto God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. It's a done deal. Jesus' blood paid it all. Nothing was left undone. Hebrews 9.12. Reading in the King James Version. Actually going to read it in the King James and two other versions to make the point here. Hebrews 9.12, King James Version. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Sounds pretty final to me. Let's read it in the Common English Bible. He entered the holy of holies once for all by His own blood, not by the blood of goats or calves, Securing our deliverance for all time. New Living Translation. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. What does that mean, Brother Scott? This is what it means. That means if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then your sins passed present, and future have been washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus. Now there are Christians that do not believe that. There are Christians that believe that all of your sins up until the time that you got born again have been washed. But after that, if you mess up, if you sin, you have to repent and get it clean before God and get that sin under the blood. And if you don't, Some people believe you'll head to hell. If you had an argument with your wife, for example, which has happened to me a couple of times, and you didn't repent and you didn't offer it up and you didn't ask God for forgiveness and something was to happen to you before you did, there are people who believe you'll go straight to hell. Because they say, and I've read it on websites. The blood of Jesus does not forgive future sin. I've read that on websites. Let me tell you why that's wrong. I'm very passionate about this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus shed his blood for all mankind. You and I weren't even born yet. We had not committed a single sin. If the blood of Jesus shed 2,000 years ago cannot forgive future sin, then we're all lost. Only the people of that day could have their sins washed. It's a ridiculous notion. Now, it doesn't give you a license to sin just because you have been given eternal redemption by the blood of Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't need to repent when you sin. You do need to repent. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you not do it again. We want to live a righteous and holy life. We want to live on the outside what's on the inside of us, right? If you've been born again, the Bible says you've been made righteous and holy on the inside. We want that to show up on the outside. I got an example of a person that grew up in that condemnation mode where Man, if you sin after you get born again, you better get it right with God. If something happens to you, you're going to go to hell. When Trish and I were youth pastors back in the mid-90s, we had our youth band drummer. His name was Sean. Precious young man. But he grew up in Pentecostal holiness background. And he would come to me every week for his sin of the week. And he would tell me, Brother Scott, I smoked a cigarette, and so now I'm headed to hell. There's nothing can be done for me. And I had to work with him and help him realize that he had been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. All he needed to do was repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me not do that again. It did not mean he lost his salvation. One time, you know, Sean, his parents did not come to the church. We would go get him and we would take him home after the meetings. And one time we were taking him home. Now, mind you, I had uh, all three daughters, I believe. Yes, all three daughters in the car with me. And Sean's in the back seat. Trisha and I are in the front seat and we're driving him home. And he said, Brother Scott, you'd be proud of me. I haven't said a cuss word in two weeks. Now, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I'm going to cuss in church. And I said, Sean, I'm damn proud of you. He was like, Brother Scott, I can't believe you said that. Don't you realize God is listening? I said, yes, I do. I'm just trying to make a point. It's not what you do or don't do that gets you into heaven. It's who you are. If you're a born again child of God. Your home is heaven. You're headed there one day. Because where would you draw the line where one sin is too much? What sin would it be that the blood of Jesus hasn't already washed? There is none. I can't help it if born-again believers act like knuckleheads and don't live for God. That's between them and God. All I know is when the trumpet blows, if we're alive... If you're born again, you belong to Him, you're going. You might have some things to answer to at the judgment seat of Christ, but you're going. That's just what I believe. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Don't be like Sean. Don't sweat it when you miss it. Just say to the Lord, I missed it again for the umpteenth time. But I know you're going to forgive me for the umpteenth time. I know the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And oh, by the way, if it's true that you have to confess every sin and get it washed and under the blood, what if you forget one? What if you commit one that you don't realize is a sin? What about that? Is there a a clause in heaven for that? Some, Some... Clause that goes into faith. Oh, he forgot that one. He's all right. It's a ridiculous notion, and yet it's taught in many, many churches in this city and in this nation. Amen. Hallelujah. What kind of life is that? Walking on eggshells, wondering if the next sin you commit is going to send you straight to hell. I mean, my God. There's no peace in that. There's no security in that. There's no blessed assurance in that. You know, I'm sorry I keep laboring on this, but I believe somebody here really need to hear this today. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so all of that was a setup for what it means to plead the blood of Jesus. Amen. It took us a while to get there, but we got there. So what does it mean to plead the blood of Jesus? Is it a valid concept or is it just some old time Pentecostal tradition that doesn't really mean much that grandma used to do and we don't do anymore? I plead the blood of Jesus. You know, I used to hear that and not understand what in the world you're talking about. Well, I'm going to tell you what in the world we're talking about and why it's a valid concept. Let me build my case for pleading the blood of Jesus By beginning with Romans chapter 5. It's not going to take us long to make this case. But we're going to make it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Let me break that down. Verse 9 is very important. It says, we've been justified by the blood of Jesus. Did you get that? We've been justified by His blood and saved from wrath through Jesus Christ. To be justified means to be made righteous and holy just if I'd never sinned. That's an easy way to remember it. Justified by the blood means... It's just if I'd never sinned to be saved from wrath means that you've been saved from all the wrath associated with being an unregenerate sinner. When you got born again, you didn't become an old sinner saved by grace. No, you went from being a sinner by nature to being a saint by nature. Amen. Make up your mind. Who are you? Are you sinner or saint? If you're born again, you're a saint of God. On the inside, you're righteous and holy as God. John 3.36 talks about wrath. You find wrath in the New Testament? Oh, yeah. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't want any part of the wrath of God in my life. That's why I said yes to Jesus. That's why I got born again. Amen. All the unbelievers all over the world, the Bible says the wrath of God is abiding on them now. And the only way that wrath will be lifted is if they say yes to Jesus. Amen. One more thing. The word translated as saved there in verse 9 there in Romans chapter 5, that word is the Greek word sozo. And it means to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, to save, to make whole. So putting it all together into one statement, if you've made Jesus your Lord... You've been delivered, protected, healed, preserved, saved, and made whole by the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. So, the word plead means to contend for, to strive for, and it's actually most commonly used in legal settings. When you go to court and you're the defendant, the judge says, You've heard the charges against you, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? So to plead is to make your case to the judge. If you're not guilty, you plead not guilty. Amen. In our case, in the court of heaven, the verdict has already been rendered. We have been found innocent, not guilty because of the blood of Jesus. We don't have to make our case to the judge. The judge is our father. And it's already been settled with him. Amen. But listen, Satan and his cohorts act as outlaws. Even though they've been defeated, they will challenge you from time to time concerning what belongs to you as born-again, blood-washed children of God. Amen? And one of the ways we can enforce their defeat Is by pleading the blood of Jesus. When the enemy comes against you with accusations. Threatens you with physical harm. In effect we say to the enemy. The verdict has been rendered. I have been and I remain delivered. Protected. Healed. Preserved. Saved. And made whole by the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. Exhibit A with my defense attorney. His blood was shed for me. And that blood speaks and says, not guilty. I plead the blood of Jesus. Now you can say it any way you want to. You can say, I apply the blood. I appropriate the blood. I have what the blood brought for me. Or you can be old school like me. And say, I plead the blood of Jesus, amen. It just has a real Holy Ghost ring about it, amen. But the meaning is the same. You're appropriating the deliverance, the protection, the healing, the preservation, the salvation, the wholeness. That was purchased for you by the precious blood of Jesus. So how can we apply the truth of pleading the blood of Jesus in our prayers for America? Well, we can plead the blood of Jesus over America. Listen to me. We can appropriate the deliverance, the protection, the healing, the preservation, the salvation, and the wholeness that was brought for America with the precious and powerful blood of Jesus. So I'm going to wrap it up with a sample prayer where we do just that. We plead the blood of Jesus over America. Just hang with me. Be with me in spirit. Be in agreement with me as we pray this. Heavenly Father, our nation is under attack. There is a war underway for the soul of America. We see the darkness that threatens to overtake us and we resist that darkness in the name of Jesus. We say no weapon formed against us shall prosper for the blood of Jesus is a protecting shield over the United States of America. We plead the blood over our infrastructure, over our institutions, over our people and over our leaders. We plead the blood over the White House, over Congress, over the Supreme Court, and over every state government as well. We plead the blood of Jesus over the Church of America. We say the plans and purposes of the enemy against our government and against the church will be thwarted because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood, we believe that deliverance, protection, healing, preservation, salvation, and wholeness Come to our great nation. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And if you're in agreement, say amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed part five of Dr. Forrest's series, Tools of Prayer for America. If you were blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, Visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.